Hi, and welcome to the Team Deacons podcast. This podcast is a dialogue between Roger and James Deacons, joined by Matt Wyman, starting from a submitted question and ending who knows where. We're also joined by guests on occasion. We're connecting through Zoom, so bear that in mind when you hear the audio. If you'd like to submit a question, please do so by emailing pod, P-O-D, at rogerdeacons.com. Today's topic has to do with the craft of makeup on a film. To help us get through this topic, we have a very good friend with us who's a phenomenal artist. We've had the pleasure of working with him many times. He's done such movies as Three Kings, The Perfect Storm, The Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Blade Runner 2049, Prisoners, Skyfall, Sicario, First Man, and Dune. We're very happy to have our good, good friend, Donald Moat, with us today. Donald, could you tell us a little bit about your path to get to where you are now? And did you know as a child that you always wanted to work in film? Well... You know, it's funny thinking back on it, as we all probably do. I think I was kind of a slightly freaky child for my parents because I loved going to the movies. I just, I <laughs> loved it. And I managed to see films that, I don't know, stuck with me. And I used to watch the credits because I couldn't believe people did that for a living. So I, I think I was really interested when I was very young. And um, I wanted to do something. I, I liked playing around with things. And uh, I think it was sort of costume uh, you know, drawing, painting, and ended up doing makeup in a school production because somebody said, let him do it. And, and, and <laughs> fit, you know, found a book, Richard Corson's book, and, and I could sort of do it. And people said, you know, that kid's actually okay. Get him to do it. So when somebody actually paid me some money to, it was for um, the photographers were doing headshots for actors. They, they said they had a very hard time finding people who could do a no makeup look. And it became sort of a thing that you would actually get hired because they didn't want to see the makeup, which I thought was really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) And that really got me started working wonderful photographers and and community things that were very driven like that and theater and and, um, until I could sort of get a job that, that paid me to work on something. So would you say that your basic instinct when you're going into it is the no makeup look? I think it's really always what what everyone, I mean, so collaborative. Well, most of the time we hope it is, but what the director and and cinematographer, what they're looking to create, I feel like I'm I'm an addition or a complement to what people are designing and production design and costume, I sort of fall into that. I think if it's a no makeup look, you still have to do makeup and technical things and if it's more stylized, then we, we try that and rely heavily on people's direction and uh, input in, in what we do. Um, but I do like things that look, I guess I am sort of, I like things based in reality because it's so interesting for, for makeup, I think, in, in working that way. And correct me if I'm wrong, but as a makeup artist, you can come in two ways. You could come in attached to one person, or you could come in as the head of the department. Can you tell us what the differences are and what you do in the two roles? Because I know you've done both. Right. Uh, you know, I think it's a great question because uh, I think it's great to come in from the very bottom, to be working on the crowd and learn 
how to work quickly and efficiently and do all the different looks that's being that are being asked for with costume and makeup and hair. So I think working in the crowd is a great start, which I did and happy to. And you learn a lot and and you get in the way of everybody and you get told off a lot and <laughs> scolded. So you know not to do that. And yeah. you learn what not to do, I guess. And and I like to come in with the production, with the director and the cinematographer and everybody on the department so that you feel you're really contributing and to the look of the film and the film itself. I think when you come in with an actor, sometimes that becomes the priority. And uh, I, I think it serves a great purpose for some people, not for everyone. Some directors think it works well, it's efficient. Others feel it's a hindrance. I've seen both. I feel like I've been part of both sides of that. If the actor's in every single scene of a film or almost every shot, he or she needs to be ready and, and have the same person is, is good for often for the production and the comfort zone and um, not having to try something new. Um, and other times mm-hmm. it can, it can I think, it can slow things down a little bit or become too much of a celebrity thing. Well, when you read a possible script for a, a project that you might or might not do, what do you look for? What draws you into a project? I think the challenge of, of the, I mean, you read it and if it's exciting and it, it gets your attention because you're trying to imagine through your mind's eye things. And, and I feel very lucky to have worked, I mean, with, with some really great people who I know if they're attached to it, I feel like it's a bit like when an actor says, oh, as soon as I heard it was this person or that person, or if people know it's, it's Roger and you and your team, it attracts people to a project. And I think that that uh, is something I'm aware of when I, I look at something and, if it's a really difficult um, project on, in terms of makeup, not having the time or the budget, or if you can do it convincingly, if it's an interesting project, but also it's being able to do it and that you can, you can do it in the given time. Also, that they like it, that they're interested in seeing it or it doesn't need too many fixes, which we start to see sometimes. But I think it's just the appeal of just, you love a story or there's a movie that's really uh, interesting. Um, and prisoners was just so fascinating, wasn't it? Just the possibility, and once you start meeting everybody, and you saw the potential in this, and the character development, and to be a part of it and help in some way to help tell that story, I find that really exciting. So, how early are you brought into it? I mean, if you say yes, I'll do this job. What happens next? Well, you know, you both know me. I usually think it's not soon <laughs> enough. But they, yeah, that's always the I case, right? People always say, oh, we'll just bring them in it's, if they can do it their way. I don't know. I, I mean, I know people who get months and months prep, especially if it's a bigger prosthetic thing. And sometimes I think that's great for them. Um, but, you know, we usually, um, if you're running the department, at least it should be at least a month before. That doesn't happen very often on a lot of projects now. Um, sometimes you get in two weeks if you're lucky and... Um, and you're expected to do a lot of work on your own time, which most of us who love what we do are happy to do it. But there's it, a lot of pressure in that and the actor's availability and, and camera tests and things like that. So sometimes I feel like it's getting squeezed. And then other times, sometimes the best work maybe happens without too much discussion. But surely if you agree to do a feature... And yet, you're not on prep yet. You're talking with the director, right, about what he wants, mm-hmm. because before you leave for location, you have to know how to pack your kit, right? right? 
Donald, I would ask too, are directors ever coming to you for creative ideas and having you define the character? Or are you solely working off of what they've given you and you kind of have to work into their mm. vision? Is there any back and forth there? I think everyone's different. I've had some people who want complete uh, control and that's their prerogative as the director. I've had people, you know, I've met with directors of photography who, who will say, can we, you know, do you think we can do this? I mean, are we going to see uh, if it's prosthetic appliances? Um, production designers sometimes get involved, costume. I guess it's it, it's collaborative and sometimes it's not. I prefer when it is because at the end of the day, when you have to present something, everyone suddenly goes back into their lane that we're very interested in what was <laughs> happening before and you're left on your own or the actor decides they're not having this or... Uh, well, that's another thing too is um, because certainly when we've worked with you, it's been very collaborative between you and the director and you are very much involved in setting whatever the look is. But then sometimes do you work on the look with the director and then the actor shows up mm-hmm. and you're about to put it on and the actor goes, no, no, I think it should be this way. Yeah. And then yeah. what do you do? Yeah. What do you do? Uh, well, I think if you gain someone's trust, I mean, I've had it happen. Uh, we all have, right, where you feel not undermined, but maybe the person doesn't know you, which... I think helps when the director knows the person doing the makeup, um, much the same as any other creative department because he or she knows, well, I know he won't do that or we'll try something first. And and if I run it by somebody, I mean, I can always, you know, we were able to work so closely together that I could say to you and Roger, is that, I mean, can we try that? Is that, you know, or if, if somebody had a question, I have heard from other people in some on some productions now. There, you know, there are producers who are kind of uh, checking the makeups and costumes via committee, and and that's really difficult to be mm-hmm. to be on a job like that. I've been very lucky to not have done many of those. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really soul destroying when somebody calls up and says, you know, can you make them look prettier, or they're not looking great, or they're too, you know, there's something that's really difficult. Um, to be involved in that, and it's very stressful. Um, it does happen, but I'm not usually, I'm really lucky I've been able to avoid some of those projects. Do you find that's less of a pressure now? It's the same kind of pressure on a cinematographer that, you know, there's a balance between the character looking right for the character in the story yes. and the character looking like a film star. That's right. You know, it is a pressure, isn't it? It's huge. I mean, I feel, I, I, for, for you, I mean, it's, it really starts where, you know, somebody, I mean, we've had it happen where, you know, uh, an actor, it's not even the actress, sometimes it's a manager, an agent has decided. Yeah. And you'll yeah. get a weird memo and then it goes to you and costume and suddenly, you know, uh, I had it happen once where, where I was told you need to do more shading and contouring because the person... Um, we can see their double chin. I'm like, well, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. that kind of thing's really difficult because the minute the actor picks up that that's being said, it can... That's all it's about. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. and we've all seen it. It unravels. And yeah, I've been very careful in my life to be really careful how I... I want people to feel comfortable, but I also I would never be um, not truthful because they'll catch yeah. you. I mean, I've had somebody say, why are you trying to take away yeah. that? It's wonderful to yeah. work where everybody wants it to be real. 
you know, the funny thing yeah. is we can all do that. And then I'll get a, a memo and we're all ready. We're shooting. And then you're told so-and-so is coming in for a week. And, and sometimes you think, oh, gosh, that's going to come with something. Right, right, right. <laughs> and sometimes they don't. And it's really kind of nice when, when everything's cohesive and a kind of harmonious look. Yeah. yeah, you generally find that an actor, when they come into a project that's on, you know, in the middle of a project for a few days or something, they, they kind of blend in with what's there. I, I don't. I don't know whether they watch dailies or whatever, but somehow that, that's what we've found. I, I'm just trying to think of a case where somebody's come in and actually done their own thing and it stood out. I can't think of one, yeah. Well, yeah, I think it depends on the movie, but I remember <clears throat> yeah. on um, Goldfinch, we'd been working together and it, it was tough, those little locations and all of that. And then Nicole came in, Nicole Kidman came in for like two weeks or something mm. And we all wondered, is it going to change the dynamic? But she was fabulous. No, yeah. She just... Brilliant. And uh, you have to realize how hard it is for an actor to do that. Yeah. Because we were talking, she and I were talking about that, mm. about the fact that she's walking into a very tight unit and wants mm. to fit in and mm. doesn't know how to. And oftentimes, Donald, you, and costumes probably too, are the closest person to that actor. Mm-hmm because you're with them all the time, so you can help them make that transition, right? I, I think more often than not, it works. When there's trust, you know, everything's possible, and I think if you're able to, your personality is suited for it. There's some people are, are maybe uh, not better, just it's in your nature. Do you know that thing of some people mm-hmm. have something in their nature that the actors feel comfortable and that you're yeah. helping them do what they are are there to do and they feel very comfortable and I know in the films we've worked together I mean we get such great feedback from the cast I always think it's so collaborative when someone who came in and you weren't so sure uh, left it with a great experience and felt really it's part of nurturing and and you know um, that's a kind of great feeling and I think people really appreciate it when they feel that we're all looking out for each other and we're looking out for them. I think it's actually a very big part of your job that mm-hmm. not everybody thinks about. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time talking to an actor who was directing and he was talking to me about makeup people and I was recommending some people. This was so many years ago. And he said to me, okay, what type of personality does that person have? Mm-hmm. Are they the kind of person that will light a candle in the makeup trailer if... Uh, the actress is having a tough day and, you know, help in that way. So even back then, I realized that it's much more than the rest of us mm. on, on the set who can just have a bad day. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, well, most most of us are doing that, though, to We're some degree, to, yes, aren't we? Yes. I mean, I think the whole thing with an actor coming in, especially somebody coming in mid-picture for a week or two, they they need that kind of... They need that feeling, that comfort zone immediately because they're going on the set almost immediately. You know, they might get a day there where you're kind of introduced to everybody and then they're actually doing a performance. So everybody has to kind of create that comfort zone, don't they? But I think, Donald, you in particular, you and um, the costume department and uh, really a lot of pressure in that sense. Do you find that the way the set is lit determines how you're going to do your makeup? You know, sometimes uh, I think 
when you're on some sets or you get a feeling in pre-production because often the 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 cinematographer will will have a word or or will talk a little bit about concerns or or what they're doing it's hugely helpful and it's not an area of expertise i have so i i love being able to ask is there anything you need me to watch or is something um to be careful so i'm, I'm aware of it and i love when you go to the set and it's a set that really is lit and it's got so much character in it, just how it sets everything that you look around and, you know, we see dailies and things like that. But I really look to that direction from the cinematographer and the, even the camera crew uh, because they're seeing everything. And we do work as a team. I think it's so important to do that. I, I do. I think some people are very in the makeup and more now with the makeup effects are relying a lot on on post and things. And I've never worked like that because I never, it was all basic and practical out of kit makeup and do a bruise or do a cut. We didn't rely a lot on uh, extra long makeup time. So I feel like some of the old things we used to do are being lost. And Yeah, that's a shame because mm -hmm. it's so great to work with it, to be with the actor that has that bruise. Mm -hmm. And that's another um, part of your job, too, is the continuity of the wake mm -hmm. makeup. Mm -hmm. Because, for instance, the, the bruise, how it fades out mm -hmm. in the course of the movie that you have to keep mm -hmm. track of. And you break that down ahead of time, right? Well, we do. But as you know, I mean, sometimes, it, you know, I was listening to Roger in one of the podcasts about changing with continuity and script supervision. It was really interesting to me because I've been through something not the same, but similar in the sense that sometimes you have to cheat it because you get into a room and suddenly right. you can't see the bruise or or it looks suddenly like a bruise has appeared when it, it didn't. Exactly. And it's very hard to explain that to newer people. Sometimes a newer director or a script supervisor may not quite understand that and get really quite cross with you um, <laughs> or they get so preoccupied with it I remember being very, very young and starting as an assistant. I worked on this film. It was a very uh, sort of esteemed, highly respected director, John Schlesinger. And he was, <laughs> he taught me a lot. But one thing he did say, I remember getting too fussy in a touch up. And he said, if they notice that, this is a terrible film. And I thought he was quite right. And I guess I've been a bit like that in, in mm -hmm. much of what I do, because it's not about the makeup, obviously. And... Sometimes I'll get into that with a script supervisor that's holding, you know, the way they used to hold a Polaroid, but will be holding a camera right. to me and saying, no, 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 that's not quite right. Well, it's a different day. It's a different light. It's here. Yeah. And sometimes you can get a bit cross and, and feel like they're not on the same film or, or in an emotional state. So, But you can have quite a complex job in terms of continuity if you're doing a film like, well, Blade Runner, I imagine. Um, where nothing's shooting in continuity. That's right. So you have to have a whole breakdown of that script, right? In pre-production, you break it down and say, well, okay, the bruise is going to start mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. and then it's going to gradually fade by this point. So then you have to know that if you're shooting a bit of that transition That's right. in the schedule, yeah, you, you, this kind of a com complex job, really, that I think most people wouldn't really understand. No. It's a bit like a puzzle, isn't it? I mean, I, I really yeah. love it because at the end of a project, and I mean, there's mistakes can happen and it's inevitable or something changes or, you know, people can look different day to day or, you know. But I loved like on Blade Runner when we put together all the books at the end to hand in, 
it's kind of nice when you look back and go, actually, for the most part, I mean, considering you're out of sequence, you feel really um, you've achieved something and you've got every piece into yeah. the puzzle yeah. Um, yeah. that we've tried to, to do or uh, make sense of it and uh, that the audience are not distracted. But then again, there's the thing where sometimes as you go along in um, production, a scene or a couple of scenes get omitted, and that could have been the time where the bruise was changing in a significant way, mm -hmm. and now you don't have those scenes there, and whoo, there goes the planning. Well, it's always a problem, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. And it happens, right? For every department. <laughs> I, I guess that happens to everybody. It's on a few jobs that have sent me into a couple of sleepless nights where you think, oh, God, it looks bad. And then, yeah, I think it's happened. It's happened to me quite a few times where suddenly the scene's gone. And I'd asked a director once if a character had, he didn't like it, but he, in the end, he did it. <laughs> but there was a character who had a lot of makeup on. And it, it wasn't particularly nice, but it fit for the character. It was a bit kind of like uh, maybe slightly garish makeup. And he wanted it on his lead lady. And it was more of a character makeup. It was heavy and and strange colors and things. But I did say to him, wouldn't it, I'm really probably stepping out of my lane, but shouldn't you have somewhere in the film where she's putting that on? Because if, you, if you're if you made up like that, <laughs> yeah. the, aud the audience just think either Boy, the makeup, yeah. somebody, I mean, a, a cinematographer, somebody, the focus pullers even said to me on films, can you just check I mean, what would I do without Andy and, and you know, <laughs> being able to run in and see Josh and say, can I just look at that for a second? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and this director actually agreed with me, and he did do a close-up of this actress in the car putting all this sort of really slap kind of pharmacy makeup on, and it made me so yeah. happy that you listened to that. <laughs> Justified it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I just wanted to, because we didn't talk uh, in prep, you say maybe you only get three or four weeks, but... Can you talk about makeup tests? I mean, it used to be more mm -hmm. than there are now, mm -hmm. right? But it used to be quite an extensive process when we were shooting film. Right. It's probably a little less now, but can you talk about that a bit? Sure. I quite like them. It's fun. You get to know everybody, but um, mm. you also know what you don't. For me, it's always to know what we're not going to be doing, mm. if that makes sense, because we'll, yeah. mm -hmm. we'll see something, and, and I quite like to... But, you know, say with Josh Brolin... He had a very specific idea and he'd worked uh, how he works and what he wanted. And I suggested to him because I, I thought from what everybody was saying and Denis that he really needed this rugged kind of look living where they were. And I suggested, well, then let's do the camera test and not put anything on you. And he looked, he was quite perplexed by it. And I said, I think it's the best way to do it. And then we have a look. And he thought that was great. I always remember that. He thought it was really a great idea. And that's what we did. And also the good thing about doing a camera test is you get to show it to him. That's right. So then he can and then be we, confident. And then we made whatever adjustments we made, and, and we had such a great time together because I think it was, he'd never done it. Sometimes people put makeup on. I'm never sure. It feels like when people call touch-ups, um, they just immediately feel like you have to keep doing your job, and it's, it's okay mm -hmm. to say it's fine or they, they don't need anything and if you're mm -hmm. happy and it's, it's, it's okay. But in the camera test, I find that when you have a really great director and great people around the camera, I don't worry so much about it because people just tell the, if someone's nervous or they've got this, that everyone's there to say, oh, no, no, that's going to be fine. We're not in the right light. And 
when we're shooting it on the day. It's really, it, it's informative and it helps people feel comfortable. Sometimes the camera test can be difficult for us because people decide right there that that's the way it's going to look. And I know it will never look that way when we shoot it on location, very far from mm. where this test was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I almost find there's more pressure on doing a camera test for me, and you know, not makeup and costume, but just me lighting it, and oh, I don't know why. It's because just, it's going also to the studio yeah, with right. people that haven't so been involved studied, yeah. in our day-to-day mm-hmm. prep. Yeah. Someone from the outside, and it, there's a lot of pressure yeah, because yeah, of that. Yeah, everybody's scrutinizing it on some various theaters across <laughs> Los Angeles. <laughs> well, that's just it, isn't it, people? Well, yeah. As you say, once you get going, it's really about the performance and about the situation. It's not about staring at this person sitting in a chair and, pour, you know, analyzing every little bit of makeup and how their hair goes and <laughs> what's out of place. That's and, you right. Know, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the other thing about working with you that's so wonderful is you mentioned touch-ups is that you get them ready so you don't wait until we're calling action mm-hmm. and then rush in to touch it mm-hmm. up and then slow everything down. You're very conscious about that, that they should mm-hmm. come on set ready and nothing will slow the process up. So we thank you for that. Mm. Donald, you guys were talking a little earlier about practical effects and bruises and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. For somebody who doesn't know much about the makeup department, is there a separate person that works on gore and blood? I mean, look at something like Lord of the Rings with all those prosthetics and monsters. Are you responsible for all of that? It it should fall all into the one. It depends on the person running it, if they're comfortable looking after a lot of those things. Some people don't do any of it or, or out-of-kit things. I mean... We do it all. Um, when it gets into a really extreme prosthetic thing, you're going to have a whole team of sculptors. And uh, the person who usually sculpts it would be the best person to have in for any complications. Uh, but most of it, traditionally, most of us, well, we should be doing a lot of those things. And and if not, at least having great people working with you. Um, I like to do a lot of out-of-kit things because I know the director or we're not because I worked on smaller films, it didn't have that kind of budget. I had to do everything by myself and or have one person helping. And we never went to the trailer for makeup changes and things. I'm still not sure when I hear that um, because people will say, okay, now you'll go for a makeup change. And so I can do it right here. I mean, you know, if you're yeah. cleaning them up and I quite like to work like that, but I worked on lots of films that that's the only possibility. So now when somebody says, you know, they're losing the light, they're ready to shoot. I don't want to be one of those people to say, I'm so sorry, we have to do this hour and 25 minute change. It's really mortifying, you know, and a lot of the actors are embarrassed by it. But I think that's just working with the types of directors. And um, And to that effect, are you constantly having to learn and figure out more stuff, whether it's a new type of wound or a bullet hole or a different creature? are you constantly updating what you know and mm-hmm. learning new techniques? I think we all learn no matter what we're doing. I love still going to movies. I mean, I love it and, and I, like, I enjoy everything about it. So there, there are times you learn new things, other things you kind of go to to think that's I, what I don't want to be doing, right? And that's okay, but I think it's, it's great. I mean, I love going to the movies and um, 
I think we do learn and we talk to each other. It's great to work with different people uh, to see what they're doing or trying different things. And um, some people get a little over, I think they're so caught up in it where they, they forget that, you know, there's still basic things that you have to do or haven't changed that much. I mean, when we went from uh, 35 and went into digital, all the makeup people seem to suddenly have gone quite crazy. And, and <laughs> I just thought, well, if you, if you just watch and listen and ask some questions and try a few different things, um, it, it won't be that difficult. And now I kind of love it. But I mean, I, le- I mean, I worked with such great people and around these cameras that I learned so much of what you can and can't do. And, and, um, but I think we always do learn, learn from working with other people and, did you find it a big change then between film and digital? I didn't. But Roger, it's so funny because people were really terrified. The actors, people that I think, um, there was the original makeup we used to use a lot called Visiora. It was made by a cinematographer in France. It was a beautiful makeup. We used it, it was in the 80s. And it was a Frenchman, I can't remember his name. But they loved that. I mean, it was kind of part of like French uh filmmaking they learned a little bit of makeup which was kind of interesting but i remember that's what we were using it was and then somebody said recently about hd and i went that was the first hd makeup it's just because it was so good and it was the colors were natural and it was very light i do know people who worked a lot in television who uh, i guess we're doing the tv movie world in 16 millimeter they were very concerned and film people the actors used to talk about it it was they were so terrified that they terrified the makeup people. Now I see how wonderful it is. And I think the last time I did work on a film and someone said, oh, you'll be so happy we're shooting 35. I suddenly was like, oh, shit, now no, I have to go to no. dailies again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in the things that you cover, too, it's interesting, for instance, in Blade Runner, you had to oversee Jared Leto's contact lenses. Right. Right. So that's part of makeup, too? Yes, and getting the, the logistics of it because it's the closest thing to us. And I knew what they were asking about. And it was, it was really difficult because he was in L.A. and we were already in Hungary. And we only got him for X amount of time. So through phone and emailing, getting him set up for a contact lens appointment to wear those big scleral lenses. But then, of course, he wanted to really be blind that... Um, <laughs> We went through a whole thing, and I decided that we'll just piggyback them, which is not highly recommended where you put one over the other. And (laughs) the optician was really thinking I'd lost my mind, but I said, no, no, he really wants to do it. And that's what we did. And the contacts were hand-painted, and um, it it worked out very well, and it was a very stressful time. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But it worked very well, and I've since subsequently worked with him, and guess what? We use contact lenses. (laughs) <laughs> it's the thing now. It's the th- it's a thing for. A l- I, I understand it. I really get it. I mean, other people do it because they feel they want. Somebody said that to me. They just want a little bit of a veil, something between them and the camera, or them and other people. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing. And other people do it, and mm-hmm. I, it, it was great. Well, some sometimes I find an actor. It's a little thing that for them just is it, it makes their character is something they attached themselves right. to that makes the character now whether it's javier Bardem with his haircut yeah. which was a really big thing on no country sure. for old men but as soon as he found it um 
he felt he found the character yeah. and for uh, um jeff bridges on um true grit it was a hat mm-hmm. yeah once he'd find the right hat suddenly he felt he knew that he, somehow he, he, the character came alive for him you know it's, it's simple little things so i think with jared it was that the look of yeah. the, the eyes it's interesting isn't it everyone yeah sometimes people maybe have uh they try for too many things i learned something not recently was when we were doing tests for something and the actor, there was a lot happening. There was costume, there was makeup, there was all these elements. And I kind of thought, that's why it doesn't work. There's too many things going on that you have mm-hmm. to take something away. And less is more for me. And I felt like that yeah. was, you take all of it and just have one thing. And with Jared, we did something where he said, oh, I just love, you know, I said, well, are you ever going to be in a movie? You just don't do anything? How about that? And he thought that was very funny. Um, I don't think it's coming. (laughs) (laughs) But we did do something with teeth and something else and this sort of acne scars. And I I brought that up because he wanted some very strange hair. And I said, it's so much going on. It it just feels a bit like a skit. And and he agreed because somebody had to tell him. And and we took something away and it made a big difference. And I realized that you have to take something away. It's too many things going on. But that, you know that, that that was getting back to the sort of prep period. I th- I find that so interesting because I mean not so much lately, but you used to do two or three series of artist tests, and that mm-hmm. was very much finding the right costume, wardrobe, mm-hmm. makeup, the whole feel, hairstyle, mm-hmm. and you would go through you know maybe five or six changes in a day for a particular actor that, to get the look right and, and i quite understand that it's the actor trying to find the character mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and as you said earlier what's wonderful for me about it and the people i work with is you get comfortable with that actor you meet them mm-hmm. if you haven't worked with them before and you have that time with them and yes and it's know. not stressful at yeah, all, yeah it's 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 um yeah could you tell us, too, again, in Blade Runner, you had to come up with the way to make Pink Joy, mm-hmm. which was, first of all, figuring out, did you have to figure out what color she was going to be? Mm-hmm. And then how you could put a makeup on her mm-hmm. that wouldn't ruin her skin, right? Right. That was really difficult. Um, mm-hmm. It was so helpful. I mean, it was being able to be there at, what was that studio called? Orego. To be able to yeah. pop into your office and and to see you both there and then be able to show. Because I just picked up, um, you know, I brought as much as I could from L.A. We shipped some things. Uh, when I met the actress, because her, you know that thing you get in your head of, well, what's pink to everybody? That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I never realized. It's quite different. It's so different. Yeah. And when we talked about the pink, I just was getting these things from the, the, the illustrator or the concept Story, storyboard. The storyboard he was guy, sending, I remember that. He was sending images where she was red. Yeah. And yeah. then I was being sent something from costume that was a different color. And, and it, started, it was looking a little bit like um, an X-Men character who was blue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I remember going to Roger and saying, is it like bubblegum pink? And, we, and, and right away, the way... Roger pointed to it. I went, okay, now that's pink. Except when I put the color on Anna the first time, her skin has quite a bit of yellow in it. She's Cuban. Yeah. It, mm, it yeah. looked ashy. It was a strange... Te- so we had to change yeah. it up a little bit. It was a lot of fun. I mean, we laughed and carried on, and I'm just glad it was for a few days. 
<laughs> oh my God, I'm just painting it, painting it on. Yeah. But it was a bit old school where people did that in the theater and went home with the makeup on and then did a touch up the next day. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my God, what did their sheets look like? Right? <laughs> so a lot of times when you're setting the look too, hair comes into place. Mm -hmm. So how do you interact with the hair people? Well, it, it, usually it's just very collaborative. In some places they do it both in the UK. I quite like working kind of running both. Uh, not everybody likes that, but I just think if you work in a team, there's fewer people. And I think sometimes the director likes to deal with one person. So yes. I feel like the UK system has been really good for us in the US because they're starting to accept it a little bit. You're not cutting jobs. It's not, mm -hmm. you're not taking numbers down. But I think if some films are, are not makeup or hair films, period, or costume films, and others are a little bit of both, and sometimes, but I think it's more makeup-driven on a lot of things, and the hair becomes sort of secondary, and other things, a big period film. I think it's, it's nice to work with a team of people where somebody's doing it, but it can also get a little bit strange because then people forget that it's also the character and you're making a film and it's not all about what you're doing. And that's the one struggle I have sometimes where, like the touch-ups, it becomes like, why are people having the back of their head touched up um, <laughs> in a scene where it's a closed set? And, but I really like working with some great hair people. And there's, there's, um, it, I think what happens is they often get bored because if they're, if they're doing a basic uh, haircut or maintenance of a hair thing, they just feel like people go to their barber or their colorist or whatever. And uh, But I really like working with people in a team like that, somebody on the hair, someone on the makeup, and, and overseeing it. So I know you can't really talk in detail about this, but can you talk a little bit about Dune in that, as a job, it was setting looks. It's not like Sicario, mm -hmm. which were a bunch of FBI and CIA people that needed to look natural, but you came into Dune and I presume people didn't look so normal. Mm -hmm. So you had to figure out looks for the different characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did that it was, work? It was a lot. Well, I give, I mean, Denis had some great ideas. And as you know, he, he researches in lots of images and storyboards. You get a lot of information and a couple of the characters, I just, I saw it, what he was thinking of, but there were things that, probably couldn't have been done and other things that would require quite a bit of work and other people just very stylized some people it's 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 just maybe the style is they they have almost nothing and minimal uh that's always harder to do with a, a big cast but there's there's quite a few that really have some prosthetic makeups and and those required some testing and and uh you know the usual kind of thing but they're more the supporting characters that come in I always think it's it's more interesting with those makeups so it doesn't become the story or you know your days taken up with it and then your your lead characters are kind of a very neutral quite neutral looking. Well that's the other thing you must have to realize too when you're creating looks is how long it takes to make them up, right? Cuz it's not worth it if it's going to take yeah 6 hours. I mean I always think if sometimes uh people want the things they want, and then when they realize that they have to get up earlier in the morning, um, <laughs> you get a very, you know, it's, it's kind of practical because some people will say, 
well, I want this, this, and this, but it's got to be done in an hour. And that's what you get. And other people, I quite like it when actors just say, look, I, I love the idea, but let somebody else do that makeup. And I'll come in and be 10 minutes in the chair. <laughs> um, how many people do you have working for you on a film like Blade Runner or Dune? And, and how do you get those people together? Well, Blade Runner, so we had a few local people from Hungary, uh, a couple of UK hires, maybe... Um, those were extraordinarily bigger casts and crowd. So I think, what did they set down for us? I think they allowed for one U.S. Uh, additional hire. Dune was an almost all Hungarian and U.K. hires. I was very lucky to get people I knew from within Europe and Sweden and Hungary to come and work with us. And they could fly in and out because they weren't all permanent. Um, yeah. uh, Blade Runner was a little bit harder, I think, because I, I don't think we had, well, I certainly didn't have the all the right information of who to bring, who not to bring, and what the cast mm -hmm. would be like. Um, and mm -hmm. it was it was easier for me because I could do more people. It's just so much of it was just Ryan for days on end, wasn't it? Right, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I maybe should have had more part-time crew and then on Dune, we had pretty much every day, we had a consistent sort of the four or five main leads. I have to say, I really, I think maybe we all feel that way. A smaller film where you can sort of just come and go and, and look after everybody and have some help, but it doesn't become, mm -hmm. you know, 10 background makeup and hair waiting to touch people mm -hmm. up and things. They have to be there, but it just feels like it's too many bodies for mm. some sets. And you might get your wish in the future. <laughs> I think so. Everybody's CG. <laughs> what do you think, though, Roger? Do you find, like, on sets that... I always worry that the makeup and hair can become uh, sometimes in the way for people. Not that they, you know... It's just hard for people because there's some films just don't want to work that way. And so many costume people on set. Yeah, I mean, without specifying, I've been on films where an actor has been actually in a situation where you wouldn't think they had any makeup and their hair was just completely um, distressed because of the situation they were in. And yet they would take two and a half hours in the chair in the morning and mm -hmm. we would be waiting for them to come on set. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I never really understood that other than, I mean, I did understand it, I suppose, retrospectively, because a lot of that is, is the comfort zone for the actor. It's not necessarily mm -hmm. what the camera mm -hmm. sees. It's preparation in a way. I must say, I kind of, well, you know me, I, I like going towards the smaller films or the character study films, even if they've got a bigger budget, like 1917. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a more focused film on, on characters. Yeah, um, when I, there's so many extra people on, yeah. it adds a kind of strain. Yes, I, and I, I, it's, it's a danger of there's too many cooks, isn't there, you know? There's too many people that gets away from you mm -hmm. in a sort of mm -hmm. sense. It becomes impersonal. That's that's mm -hmm. my old And it's usually. also nice when we're shooting a specific scene to not have to think, oh, who's in charge of that person to have one person that you talk to about the makeup on the whole that's right. uh, job. I agree. Yeah. So you can go straight to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I'm going to change tack a little bit. Oh, Is that all please right? do. I mean, what do you think about films where it's now CG, where uh, the de-aging or mm -hmm. the aging mm -hmm. of characters? And um, what do you think about that technique and how does it affect you, do you think, or will affect you? 
Well, there's so many people. It's so interesting. There's so many people talking about it. I mean, the first time I think maybe Benjamin Button was the first time we really saw it. Am yeah, I, um, pretty pretty well. So extensively that mm -hmm. yeah that. There's always yeah. been fix-ups later. Yeah, right? but that mm -hmm. was the first CG, really, wasn't it? The yeah. first big one. I mean, I, I guess there's certain things for me when I see things, it's interesting now, when I see things with blood or something that's been CG'd, um, like those very stylized, what was it called, uh, 300, things like that. The first yeah. time I saw yeah, that, yeah, I yeah. thought it was kind of interesting. I, I'm not as aware of it. It's really funny. I've been watching these old films, you know, on TCM and you know, films of the 50s and things that I've missed before and really practical things that they did, uh, the makeups. And, you know, they're not always, uh, they were pretty amazing for the time, but I I wonder, I've seen a couple of the agings where one character you know was aged traditionally with prosthetics and makeup and another hat was more augmented. And I feel like I'm a little bit aware of it, but I, I guess I just don't know enough about it other than when I see it or we've had those academy meetings where it starts to become is it makeup is it is it visual effects yeah and the yeah. visual effects would like to be doing the makeup and the makeup would like to be doing the visual effects <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i feel like and then in the middle is kind of well, what's happening or i do know that when people say to me well we'll just do it in post everyone says that now and i always get a little bit but you still you still might need the before or you need the aftermath of yeah. something, so they're, mm, mm. I mean, draw, yeah. I don't know, and, I mean. And at least on the day you know what it looks like. I find it takes so much longer if you try and do makeup things in post. Um, yeah, and it, it rarely gets to look right. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I mean, I frankly, I think the best experience we've had um, in terms of the end result of makeup and CG work on an actor was on un Unbroken. I think the end result was was yeah, but it took so long good. to get it there. It took a yeah. huge amount of time mm -hmm. in post to get the look mm -hmm. and to try and figure out right, why it wasn't working mm -hmm. right. So you mm -hmm. have to go back and forth and back and forth. Mm -hmm. But I'm that's, I'm amazed, like uh, when um, <laughs> well Matt right on uh, on um, Courage Under Fire. He no, came, yeah, he, Matt Damon. He, Matt Damon, how much weight did he lose for he that? He actually scene? lost that like, weight, yeah. I don't know, 50 pounds or something. It was ridiculous. He came like skeletal one day mm -hmm. for this, this one scene, really, one or two scenes. And then, then um, he started that way, didn't we? He yes, shot him we, first like that. And he then lost he, all the weight, then and then we broke the for Christmas. Yeah, broke and for he Christmas, ate came back, and he yeah. ate cheeseburgers <laughs> all over Christmas. And Matt came back a different person. Yeah. And I think, wow, that, I, I, I just would not do that. I mean, I just couldn't imagine doing that. But actors do it quite mm -hmm. often, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yes. <laughs> but it's also, I mean, when you're sh actually shooting the scene, it's great to see well, things again, way they yeah, are it's again it's having the reality there i think we're kind of losing that a lot now with the with the cg not only just sets but you know and makeup do you find you go to a film sometimes and see well that makeup's not what i did that's something that they've it's really do you know what i think it's really upsetting because you know maybe because i'm not a high-tech person i never have been and well, James knows that. I'm always asking, so how do you do this? How do you do that? I like to read a book. Very true. I yeah. like to read a book. I, I can't read it on on uh, anything. So I still write things down, and maybe I'll be a martyr to it. But there's something about going to the library. I still know how to find a book. 
yeah. in the library. Mm-hmm. Because when you're doing a project, everyone's uh, reference, when you turn up at those meetings, everyone's Googled and come up with the same picture. <laughs> and you think that's, I mean, when you're, when you're seven in school, you have to do better research than that. <laughs> that's funny so i it's true though right? isn't it you yeah. go it's like flip cards isn't it oh they all match that's right so you kind of go would you like this or that I, but i do watch a lot of i mean there's been a couple of times where i found out after i've met someone who said oh well but they did this and they fixed that and it's really disappointing because other people have done these really practical i thought really great makeups um the film wonder with that little boy, that was pretty ingenious. I mean, he came up with a whole rigging system to pull his face. It was really clever, and it was quite wow. not, not unlike anything done in the 30s. Um, yeah. What he came up with was very clever, and it was a child, and he did a beautiful job. And then other people have kind of put the makeup on one time, and then they, they, everything goes in post. And yeah. you start to hear that and think, well, what's the fun in it? I mean... There's something about the yeah. craft, I guess, with too much entertainment tonight. Everybody knows. I mean, you meet people in the street and they tell you, well, they did that CG and the, yeah. I don't know. It I, was interesting on, on, on um, actually it was interesting on Blade Runner because we did have that one character, right, who was, um, who was very heavily worked on in CG. Oh, uh, oh. Rachel. Uh, mm. Rachel. Rachel, mm-hmm. yeah. Rachel, yeah. Yeah. And that was... That, uh, yeah, that was really interesting because it, for me it was interesting because it had to match a very specific lighting. Although we had the stand-in that was pretty close and she walked through the lighting and you made her mm-hmm. up as best you could to look like the character. It was still, it was still a long old process to mm-hmm. get not only that stand-in to look the way she needed to look, but also mm-hmm. to do that and look real in that light. Yeah, mm. it was kind of interesting, long old process. But that was a very specific place where you couldn't really do it any other way. You know? Yeah. Right. Donald, what tips do you have, especially prevalent now with COVID-19, for any one or two person projects mm-hmm. or student films that may not have a budget uh, but want to create a certain look? Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for them? Well, I, th- I think it's really interesting because... There's people now who are trying to keep up with everyone else. When we look at the student films, the, um, the BAFTA ones for the students was 100 and, I don't know, 170 from 56 countries. There's people who've done all kinds of incredible things with very minimal budgets, but it's, to me it's kind of less is more, and then the computer-type people do their thing unbelievably well. But it feels like you have to... Um, you have to do something that you know or that you like and you're familiar with to create it. And some of them have done these really interesting makeups that either asked a friend to help or they've done it. I think it's interesting. Um, I've been watching this TV show on Netflix called Unorthodox, and I thought it was mm-hmm. so well done. I really thought I was watching a documentary. Oh, wow. The, the, That's great. The costumes, the makeup, the hair... Everything, the way they shot, everything felt like, is this a home movie? And it's really all done, and it's supposed to be in New York and Williamsburg in the Hasidic community, and they filmed it in Berlin, where they don't have any of that. I thought it was really impressive. So maybe that would be just to, because sometimes people try to, I mean, with the makeups, you know, people try so hard that they've got to do, you know, a broken nose and this and that. But, I mean, a lot of fights are very basic. Things happen to people. I always think 
when I know somebody, sometimes when I know somebody's actually dead is when there's nothing. <laughs> right? And I had this huge argument with the director once where he kept saying, no, the guy should be lying there. And I went, but you know that that person's dead. You just know it. And I think that's interesting when people are working on films that they, they try too hard because they've seen something. Uh, but if they don't have the funds to do it or the person to put it on, it's going to take someone out of the film to be saying, oh, look at that. I guess the simplicity its hard. Simple is really hard. That's what I've learned. <laughs> That's where you get, you know, you can have all these things laid out on the trailer, the prosthetics, the tattoos, the wigs, all these things. And then I'll, somebody asks you to do like, I don't know, a mole or a freckle here. And that becomes the most difficult thing you've ever done in your life. <laughs> uh, also, my pet peeve is in a movie when the woman wakes up in bed and has all her makeup on. Yeah. Right. Who does that? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. I've been watching, as I said, these 50s films, and I've never seen them. And there was one the other night, um, I Remember Mama, which was, I guess, quite famous at the time of a Norwegian family in San Francisco. They're sitting around the table counting the money for a school book <laughs> for Ingrid and, and Irene Dunn with this very funny hairdo. Everything was really great. They sounded good. Everything was picture perfect, like beautiful, small little flat with these kids with their mom and dad. And then um, there was some woman who comes in and she's sort of done up like a Christmas tree. So she slipped through. Somehow she got... She got past that at the makeup test. <laughs> well, you know, I kind of love that. I kind of miss it. We've been watching some, you know, noir films. Uh-huh. And there was one with... Um, Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham, right? Oh, my gosh. And, you know, Gloria Graham would wake up in the morning. She would look stunning. I like that. What's wrong with yeah. it? You know? I kind of miss those kind of films in a way because a bit of one of my beefs is that we've, we've gone to realism and gone to an extreme and, and there doesn't seem to be any place for that kind of mm-hmm. semi-romantic, existential kind of noirish movie. Sure. You know, it's, it's shame really, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. It's just like all the lighting is, is soft and, you know, it's also naturalistic now as opposed to something that, her style, I suppose. Well, it really depends on the movie, too, yeah, because if yeah, you have a stylized yeah. movie, then you should go stylized the whole yeah, way. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? There's few that actually celebrate. I, I don't know what, I don't know how I express it, really. I just love watching those old films. You know, you couldn't make them today. No. That's true, and every woman there goes about her day with false eyelashes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's just great. And you cut to the girl's close-up and she's got a gauze. And yes. Cameron's put a gauze <laughs> on the lens. And, you know, it's wonderful. <laughs> I remember that uh, when people... Uh, who was it uh, who used to do the China balls? Was that Wendy Watkins? Um, um, I just remember no, you close-ups. Know who used were, to do it here was... Uh, John Alonzo was about the first to use that kind of documentary technique i think and then um john john alcott i think okay. england used them yeah i do remember when people were still doing the. if you'd get sort of an older movie star would come in and you would have that i mean i had it a few times that people like jimmy Kahn, you were still going to be doing like lots of stuff contouring and and uh-huh. Uh-huh. um until they would recognize that they were the only person, including the women, because he said to me, I've got more makeup on than Faye Dunaway. I mean, <laughs> and that's, yeah. I love, I kind of love that 
sort of camp. It's maybe why Bond is sort of funny, too, because you can still do things. Somebody asked me recently, <laughs> all those movies with Michael Caine, he's got the full eye makeup on. I said, but you know, I think what you're saying, Roger, is something interesting about, uh, yeah. you know, the Hitchcock. What was the one with the tie? Um, uh, there was a few others where Alfie, he's got full-on eye makeup, and it's not even for somebody fair color. You know, it, it's yeah. it's dark, yeah. and it's right there. Yeah. And yeah. I do miss a little bit of that. Sometimes, sometimes the men were quite funny. The girls were pretty good, but the men would sneak. If you didn't do it the way they wanted it, yeah. those guys would take yeah. the eyebrow a pencil and go off and do it themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great if because if you've just shot a couple of shots where they didn't get the chance to do that, and then it's going to cut directly to this thing where they did do that. That's right. Doesn't make you look That's good. That's right. But sometimes I sometimes I think we obsess too much about continuity in a sense. I do too. Know? It's like it's mm -hmm. like if the shot works, you know, if Gloria Graham's getting out of bed and she looks stunning, I mean, it's okay. It's, I don't know. It's all about context, isn't it? Did you Have you done a lot of theatre when you started? Did you do theatre? I did. It was really great, actually, Roger, because I worked with people who, like a woman who, she was very funny, called Beryl. She, she'd gone, she trained somehow as an actress, I guess, at the Royal Albert Hall. But, um, you know, the Mikado and those operatic things, because the work was really broad and it, you learned some basic things, which of course wouldn't work in theater or television, but you just bring it all back, like the aging with all the pencils and things. So it was, it was really good. It was good fun and people are easier on you to learn a couple things. Um, Is that a good place to start, do I you think, think, in theater, to move in theater and then into I think film? it's great because it's not all about technical. It's just to learn how to work with people, how to mm. work on the chorus and... Uh, Operas were really good because there's a lot to do in a short period of time, but you're able to focus. And this is the first time you go into a crowd tent. It's kind of tough for people, mm. and it's like the assembly line. But a theater's a great... Um, photographers who are doing portraits and things with actors, and they sometimes want someone to come and help just fix a few things. Really great um, um, training to go and work with them, and they help you out and get you some pictures for your portfolio. That kind of things. Mm. I thought mm. it was really good. Mm. So, Donald, would you have any final advice for anyone that wants to get into makeup? Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe where to start. Do they have to live in L.A. or New York or one of the hubs? No. And, yeah, anything you can give as advice for them to how to get better and where to go? I, well, if they're L.A. people, they can um, let me see. We can because we do. We have a couple. There's inner city film program. There's BAFTA L.A., uh, there's a new program a friend of mine's involved with. So they could, BAFTA LA have some great uh, student programs with uh, being mentored by people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm happy to help if it's for people, you know, that are starting. You know, it's come up as well recently because we, you know, we're, it's sort of an aging group a population and we're talking about, it's a great time, I think, to be helping people learn and and maybe mm. shadow a little bit on film when we get back to work. Uh, mm. So I'm happy to, if people want to reach out on whatever you think. Uh, they can um, email to our email and I'll get it okay. to you, which is pod, yeah. P-O-D, at rogerdeacons.com. But yeah. I'd be happy to. Well, that's really nice of you, Donald. That's great. I'm happy to. Thanks for listening. If you want more information and further discussion, check out the forums at www.rogerdeacons.com.
rogerdeacons.com. Becoming a member is free, and you can ask follow-up questions there. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more new questions and topics. Also, check us out on Instagram at team.deacons. See you next time. Thank you.